that this is what you have to do to grow the business. And this is what you have to do to build a business. It's kind of like your family, right? You argue with your sister or your brother or whatever, and you get really mad, but really you're still family. And that's the way I look at it. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hello, leaders. Welcome back. I am excited today to welcome Rob Whalen to the show. Rob, as I warned you ahead of time, I always ask the guests, do a little intro of yourself and your company for those who are not familiar with you. Yes. Yeah, so my name is Rob Whalen. I'm the co-founder and CEO of PTO Exchange. I have 25 years of sales executive experience in High tech, so both hardware and software. Serial entrepreneur, this is my fourth company, all of them in different areas or different, I should say, industries that I've started. And this one was started, like a lot of the others, at a little conversation at my dinner table and it took off from there. Talk about the company because I think this is such an interesting concept and it was the kind of thing I was like, I wish I wish I thought of this. You've been doing... <laughs> You've been doing the same company, it looks for 11 years, so that says there's a success story in there somewhere, and even better than that, along the way, there's probably pivots and things that are not awesome, so those are my favorite stories. Yeah, so what we do is we allow employees, we sell this to the employers, but we allow employees a better benefit by taking their PTO and allowing them to self-direct the unused portion of that for good services and experiences. And the idea was founded, like I said, at my dinner table. And it was a couple of us had left Cisco systems and we received these large checks. And the conversation kind of came up was, why couldn't we have used some of this monies while we were there to maybe put into our 401k or take our family on a vacation we couldn't necessarily afford? things like that. And we had a bunch of entrepreneurs and executives there at that dinner. And so the conversation started to started to noodle and, and then everyone left and I couldn't sleep at night. And I kept thinking about the numbers and the value of what's going on. And so I sat down and started to put together, and this is back in late 2012, the company hadn't been founded and started to put together the numbers of just how big the opportunity was, which is how much money is accrued every year, how much goes unused, how much. And I couldn't sleep for, I think it was two weeks. I would get up in the middle of the night. And my wife will even tell you, he, I would get up and go to my office and noodle on this for a couple more hours. And I'd go back to bed and then I'd get up again. And in 2013, I started the company with four other guys. And obviously that's a long time ago. The idea that we had uh, obviously has morphed a little bit, still conceptually the same idea from that standpoint. 
But uh, I've been reading in the zeitgeist now in the news of all the Americans don't take enough vacation and they leave so much on the table and all that stuff. That's got to feel good. I guess the popular business press catches up with you 10 years later. Exactly. <laughs> and it's funny. We were doing this in the evenings, right? We like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was our side hustle. It was our side hustle. We were working for other companies that paid the bills and we started this company and we were working in the evening. So I'd get home at five, have dinner and then start work again and go till midnight. And I did that five or six days a week. It got really old. But what we found, our initial idea of taking time and self-directing it, there was a lot of regulations that we did not know about when we thought of the idea. Had no clue. And so a year into it, maybe a year and a half into it, we were out pitching to venture capitalists. And there was one VC who emailed us back. He did a lot of research and we said, wow, we did not know about this. So we had to take all of that into context and we became the experts around paid time off to the point in 2015, we went back to Washington, D.C. and spoke to Congress and spoke to the Joint Committee for Taxation. We did that with one of our House representatives here in Washington and just talked about all the laws that were created and the unintended consequences that those laws are actually creating within the workforce. And I think a lot of legislation doesn't really understand that the initial law that they create has unintended consequences once deployed. You know, so we spent a lot of time. So that was 2013, 2014, 2015, we were still working other jobs, doing this on the side. It was 27, late 2017 when we launched at HR Tech. We had the product built. We felt like we were compliant in all 50 states so that a customer that came on board, we weren't putting them in jeopardy. And we launched it in 2017 at HR Tech. And we became, that year, we were the Gartner's Cool Vendor of the Year Award, which I thought was just hilarious because we only had three customers at the time. And kept grinding away. And we raised capital at the end of that year. We raised $3 million and we all jumped and started to run real fast. So yeah, a lot of companies, probably a lot of your listeners might think, God, it took them forever. Most companies do take you a long time. The companies that you start and accelerate to a billion dollars, it's very rare. And, and I think if you look back at all the, like even Airbnb and Uber, and you'll find that they really didn't do it overnight. It was, there was some time spent evolving their business, finding the right shoe to put on the foot. Oh yeah. I'm, I'll say a huge critic of the pop startup press that just makes it sound like you come up with an idea and then you go raise a bunch of money and that you haven't, that if there's a grind that I respect, it's the beginning one that happens where it's just to get that initial traction. And I think like the story gets flipped over in correctly so many times you can have a 95 percent right thing and it still takes an incredible lift to, to pull that into anything that it, it looks like escape velocity yeah and that's that's really you talked about making pivots our business has not pivoted we our almost identical business model is what we're doing today yes we've expanded it some but even the revenue modeling that we did in the very beginning, we tweaked it a little bit, but it's the still rev it's still same revenue model. It's just when you're building a new category, when you're going from zero to one, as Peter Thiel would say, and not N plus one, when you're going zero to one, it's a big lift to to get people to think differently 
and to it's a new idea and it just takes energy and pushing that rock up a hill and that's the grind there's a little there's a lot of grinds but that's one of them <laughs> no i think you're right and I think that's the paradox of startup is that like when you actually have an idea that nobody else is doing, that is a huge opportunity. And I typically find a lot of entrepreneurs fail to understand that you have now saddled yourself with the expense of having to educate the whole universe. And that's the big thing. It's not that it's there's no debate that it's not a great idea but oh my goodness now i need to pay to train everybody on why it's a good idea and you're going to pay that one way or another if that's cash if that's just what's left of your hair or any, anything else there and those who are not watching the video rob and i share the same barber i'm on startup number 13 and and five kids i wear glasses just to cover the dark circles now I'm right there with you. Yeah, my my kids finally got them all out of college, so they're we're now empty nesters. And but uh, yeah, it's a grind to start a business, and I think a lot of people don't realize the persistence you have to have. And it really is about continuing to push. When you stop is when you fail. When you stop it is when you fail. And I and it's, I was never the smartest guy in class. I was never the smartest guy in the room. I was the most persistent. I just did not give up. I was consistent and I always looked at the long road in starting businesses. And that's what I've done here. And back in 2012, when the idea came about and 2013, when we started and 2017, when we launched and it's now 2022 and the idea is now starting to really culminate and we are growing very rapidly, which is nice. Not as rapidly as I'd like still, but it takes some time. And But it's a big opportunity and a big business. And so that's really, and my vision is it's very compelling in the world of benefits right now. It's been great. And we, I think for the leaders out there and the entrepreneurs out there, raising capital is not for the faint of heart and having investors and people that have taken their own hard earned money and given it to you in an expectation that you are going to be frugal with it and increase the value of that dollar is is a whole nother mental strain on you as you continue to build your business to know that every dollar that we get in i even from the venture capitalist right i look at that as somebody worked hard for that dollar put it into an LP as an LP into the VC and then they put it into us. So they're expecting a return. And so we need to really do right by those dollars that we receive. It takes time. We're a pretty frugal company from that standpoint. Which I talk about the popular startup press. You wouldn't hear a lot of stories, oddly enough, about people that were frugal and actually used their investment dollars for and gave returns and things like that. But by and large, I think that you have the right attitude and most entrepreneurs have that. It's, I don't know why we celebrate these stories. Yeah, they lit $50 million on fire and everybody got destroyed in that investment. No one sets out for that. I hope it's just, if anything, I like to surface the sober stories of this is how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And I think we, we celebrate all these raises of capital too, and the amount and that's great. I don't, you need capital to grow your business, but 
I think we ought to praise the people that actually are working towards profitability with those dollars and building a sustainable business long term. Now, I do know that with capital, you're going to take the market. And so you're trying to accelerate the market. Sometimes, though, it's like the market can only be taken at, at such a pace when you're building a new category, because to your point, you're educating and bringing in new clients and new customers. And they're just another voice for you to continue your work. Um, it doesn't always can't always just spend money and own the category. That's winner takes all. Winner takes all. Buy the market. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, that, like I exactly. I don't want to do it. it yeah. Exactly. I do think that there's somebody who said about buying the market or being there and accelerating your investing into the to owning the category. You just have to do it in a very thoughtful and intelligent manner. So that those dollars are utilized in a way that you're not diluting yourself downstream. That's the way I look at the business. And we we're investing aggressively in some areas and then other areas where we're not investing aggressively. We're just we're letting the market take us. So we got uh, some great partners. We just signed Transamerica on as a partner. So they're they're selling our product. We have Alight. We have Aon. We have some of the biggest consulting HR consulting companies working with us and selling our product. To their customers and so it's and that's just been over the last four or five months to, and to so nobody had realized this idea of essentially providing agency to how to make a liquid asset out of this thing that's just baked into the system it's almost like a securitization and i know that's a dirty word because we couldn't you, know, you couldn't do that without even more regulation but the idea is just so compelling take this illiquid concept and turn it into something I can self-direct. It's It boggles my mind in a good way. And that's yeah. rare. I talk to a lot yeah. of entrepreneurs. It's very similar to what Ted Benna did for the 401k. If you look back, and we've met Ted Benna a couple of times, he is the founder of the 401k. Nobody probably knows that, or a few do, I guess. But when you look at what Ted Benna did, what he did is there was a 401k law that he saw a loophole in. And he was trying to provide a benefit to his clients. And he found this loophole. Nobody would do it because nobody had done it before. And his company did it. His He was working for this consulting company. They did it first. And this was during a time in the late 1970s, early 80s, when you were finding that companies we're going in and doing leverage buyouts of large organizations to really confiscate the pension. Okay. And the way pensions are set up in a three-legged stool, they would go in with a, with leverage buyout with debt, and then they'd use the pension to buy off the debt. And then they would liquidate the assets. And two large corporations actually wound up, the government wound up having to manage the pensions because everyone would have been out on the street. And that's when Reagan saw this as, let's put the ownership of your retirement in the employee's hands, in the individual's hands, and let them be able to carry it along with it. We think paid time off should be the same. We should. We think it should look the same, meaning that you should be able to accrue your paid time off into a bank and you should be able to take it with you. Yeah, and it's, it's worth something then. You help the company evaluate that and I guess then you're converting, and I'm a little bit of an accounting nerd, so I'm trying to think like you're converting a carried liability from the company's balance sheet into an asset that can be deployed by the employee 
some of that is taxable income, if not all of it. And that's just the shifting of the balance sheet. Is it's so just, it is it, interesting. It's, it's, yeah. it's my, I graduated in accounting. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're just expensing it through the net income statement. And instead of putting it on your balance sheet, you're putting it into a bank account that's individualized. And then that employee, and the great thing about this is it doesn't grow over time. Now we don't do this today, but this is my thinking is that in the future, you should be able to do this and you should be able to take it with you. And that way you can actually, like an HSA. Yeah. you could save up to six months of it for having a baby or having a child or those types of things. It could be an emergency fund. It can be all sorts of things that we need in today's world. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I think. So you've got 11 years since the first kitchen table moment and you've still got room to run there. And, and again, the zeitgeist is catching up. The world is your oyster. And finally, it must just be like, there must be, duh, I told you, like Wall Street Journal is running, oh, Americans don't take vacation and there's so much on the table. And, and you're, I know I've been screaming about this. We, uh, everyone talks about unlimited PTO and, and it's just a mirage of BS is what it is. Because what unlimited PTO was, it or what it is, it's the unintended consequence of a law that was meant to protect the worker. And this happened in California in 1976. California passed a law saying that, hey, if you accrue or vest, if your PTO is vested, but it, that means accrued, if it's accrued, you, that's earned wages and it needs to be paid out, you own it. And what Netflix and other people did, they said, oh, we just won't accrue it. And so if we don't accrue it, then it's not earned wages. And guess what? We don't have to pay it out. And the law was really created to to protect the worker. And here we go. Now we just made it worse because now with this unintended consequence because of the way they, they did the law, you now have companies like Netflix and all the high-tech companies that are as profitable as all get out, making money off the backs of their employees not using PTO. And then when they do a RIF, they don't have to pay anything out. There's no PTO accrued. So when they do a RIF, and they let a thousand people go, they don't pay out PTO. And then you create a working culture where it's, you have unlimited, have your phone on and like, we're going to, we're going to make you feel crappy about taking it because we're a hustle grind culture and that's just not how it works here. So yeah, I mean, I would guess invariably it makes people take even less time off. It does. It, it does. And, and the thing that people don't really understand is they're getting paid less and they are making less money. And back in 10 years ago, you used to not only negotiate your salary, you used to negotiate the amount of weeks of PTO. And what unlimited PTO does is it takes that negotiation off the table. And so you don't negotiate because, oh, you got unlimited. And that's BS I do. Because if I take it, I'm going to pay for it dearly. It, yeah. And let alone if I decide to leave the company, you don't pay me anything because I've accrued nothing. It's really just a big lie and a big mirage. And all it is making money for the company, not the employee. And it's just not good because you think about a worker and you say, hey, this is your job. You communicate. But all of a sudden you don't communicate how much time you get off. It, it creates a really bad culture. Anyhow, but uh, we fight with that a little bit because because that sort of takes a potential client off the table for you because you're a need to get to be like subject to that lie. <laughs> and we, we it's funny because we've worked with companies on how to 
migrate from unlimited back to accrued. We also have something called a life planning account, which is which allows companies to give $200 or whatever amount to every employee and they can use it for gym membership and things like that. We'll sell that to an un- a company that has unlimited PTO. So we have a couple products in our, in our pocket that we utilize. But yeah, those are some of the evolutions that we've done in the company. We're not just strictly on paid time off necessarily. We're evolving yeah, the yeah. platform and allowing for flexible benefits. I'm going to guess you've benefited from the same sort of thing I have evolving from, let's say, if not a sales career, sales by necessity. And like that, that, I don't know, informs your thinking on how you start and run a business that, you know, that you are not able to have the wool pulled over your eyes that revenue isn't the key, most important thing to, to pay people. And I, I find there's a different disposition of folks who have actually had to sell things versus not. Yeah, yeah. So my history in sales, working in high-tech companies, and plus my background, have provided me with a lens of how to what's important for the business, okay? And without revenue, you can't pay people. Without your customers, without providing value to your customers, you can't sell. And so... We continually look at our customers, talk to our customers, and understand our customers on what we could be doing better. And they're the ones really helping us build the product and evolve the platform. So it's delivering the value that they're intending. And that's how we have built the business from the ground up. So what are those key things that it's, you talk about the revenue function, you talk about essentially the the finance function but if you had to distill it down and look and say these are the things that that matter what are those the things that matter are the one providing value to your customers and in our case we're providing value to two types of customers one the employer but one the other one is the employee okay so we we sell it to the employer but it's really that value the value received is at the employee level so what we did is we actually we actually derive our revenue when the employee decides to utilize their PTO for something else. Okay? So we have tied what we call a value-based transaction, which I think is this was one of the changes we made. We went to a value-based transaction mode, which is making sure that we make our money where the value is received at the employee level. And by tying your revenue to where the value is, you then focus the company's product and mission on making it better. And right there at the end point where the revenue comes, but also where you're delivering value to that customer. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense because when you think of all these business models that look like a brilliant toll booth and they're actually taxing the transaction, they're not taxing the value transfer point. And that's where, like, particularly in financial services and other areas, you have this sort of outrageous multi-step markup disaster that that actually dissuades people from ever getting involved in that thing. And it works for the short period, but it's also the place where you have total erosion of margin as everybody else says, I'm just going to build my road and toll booth there and there's actually not any marginal value 
I'm reminded our company is going through like this thing now where it's just like, you're telling me I can't get a freaking pre-charged debit card for people without paying $10 a month or per transaction. This is insane. And like the, uh, it's my damn money. Like I can't spend it without paying a three to 5% tax on it. And I think that's a perfect example of how stupid this is. Like it's a completely indefensible position. There's no value. We actually started, and again, one of the changes we made was our pricing model. And we changed it just a little bit. We started out with a PEPM and a percentage of transaction fee. And what we found was that there's a lot of angst, I should say, or negative energy around PEPM. Around what is that? PEPM right? Per employee per month fees. Okay. Got it. And I had not heard that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Pepham. So there's a lot of negative energy. And the reason I think, at least in our business, there was, maybe it's not in everyone's, was because with PTO, you may want to use your PTO the same way you always did. You take the time off. You may use all three weeks of it a year. Whereas I may not take all of it. I may use two of it and then I may exchange one week of it on the exchange. And what we found was that companies were like, why am I paying for Dave a per employee month when he's not using it? He doesn't find value in it. And he's using his PTO the same way. And so I may have a thousand employees and I'm paying for a thousand, but only 200 of them or 300 of them use the platform or find value in the benefit. And so when you have that, you go, well, that's the way we charge. The customer isn't going to buy that because they're paying for 700 people or 500 people or even 300 people that aren't using it. And that's where we decided to say, let's increase the transaction amount. And then we just charged on the transaction. And we're finding that by doing that, when we model it out as a PEPM, because we take our revenue and just model it out on a per employee, we're actually higher than where we were. And our revenue comes in at a much more collapsed time period, which is interesting. And the customer loves it because they're not paying for people that aren't utilizing the system. Yeah, I totally follow that. And I think that it's not an accident then that the, the value alignment to it. It was like people understand I'm paying for a particular thing that I can effectively take credit for, then that makes sense. But I don't want to ever pay for idle seats. In a tech context, the companies like Slack figured that out, put everybody on it. But if they don't use it, it's cool. We won't bill you. And I think that technology allows us to track that level of actual utilization now. And I also want to point out for the audience, what I think is a very important important lesson there is we talked early on the in general the idea the thing you deliver the product hasn't pivoted but a material change in billing model makes all the difference for the business and that i think is a very often missed opportunity that it's not just pricing it's not just whatever it's how and where does the whole machine work together to maximize the business. You can have the exact same product, the exact same idea and never pivot that, but you can change your billing model. And then that would make a tremendous difference 
to whether or not you can make any money on this thing. Yep. To really go back to this, you need to understand what value you're delivering and who is receiving the value. And that's where you need to align your revenue. That is, it has to. So just to give you an example, with our life planning account plans, right? With that, When we have customers that do that and give $350 per employee, we do charge a per employee per month fee because everyone gets the $350 or $200. Everyone gets value. And that's when we charge a per employee per month fee because we are, everyone's got it. Uh, whereas with pay time off, you may use it differently than others. And so we've aligned our revenue to that. It has a egalitarian vibe that I think people can get on board with. We're doing a positive thing. We want to facilitate a positive thing. And we don't get distracted by what appears to be ancillary tax that we don't like. And I think that's absolutely right. It's aligning incentives in proper places and ways. So I hope everybody takes away that's a fantastic learning. Uh, and I will tell you, working with venture capitalists and investors, probably one of our biggest uphill battles with our initial investor was changing the business model to this value-based transaction because they had invested in us in this per employee per month. Now, you as the CEO or the founder of the team has to get over that and you have to drive yourself to understand where your value is being delivered. Even if someone else who's not in your day-to-day -day business doesn't understand that. that was a very dark time when we were going through that. And now we're out on the other side. You talk about dark times and now we're on the other side. And it's not that we were right. He was wrong. That's not how this works. That's when you're, when you have investors and you're building a business, it's, and it's not, I told you so it's, this is what you have to do to grow the business. And this is what you have to do to build a business. And it's kind of like your family, right? You argue with your sister or your brother or whatever, and you get really mad, but really you're still family. And that's the way I look at it. Yeah, you're going to have these pressures. Talk about sales, right? Like you sold one spreadsheet and then had to go back and say, I'm actually going to give you this other spreadsheet. And that's really what it comes down to is I invented this spreadsheet and sold it to you. And now... I'm going to invent a different spreadsheet and just trust me that I'm probably right. I get it. Like, and that's, there's a lot of humility and just honest conversations about, so listen, here's the thing. For all new entrepreneurs, don't try and do this. But how could you know that without real market exposure? And you just simply don't. I know in my own businesses, the evolution of just, we thought that was a good idea to bill it that way. And it turns out everybody hates it. It doesn't change the thing we're going to do, but it changes how the money changes hands. And uh, how's everybody feel about that? And then you end up with a bunch of clients on different billing schemas and you have to figure out how to back that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luckily we didn't go down that route too far. So that was good. But yeah, good. Rob, I warned you ahead. I always ask people to put on your short-term futurist hat and it's just what you're talking to B2B leaders of all stripes, sizes, roles, like in the B2B landscape, what absolutely must be on the radar that maybe people aren't thinking about. So I am actually really excited about the future and I'm excited about the future because I think that the new technology stack that people are witnessing, the Web3 technology stack, is going to be embedded into every piece of our lives. And I think if you are, we saw this or I saw this probably 
seven, eight months ago. And we all think of, oh, it's the crypto, it's the Bitcoin, and it's not. People have to realize that this thing that we're witnessing is actually a new technology stack. And it is going to be invasively embedded into everything we do. And it's going to be great because it's going to personalize everything. You're going to be able to own your data. Musicians are going to be able to own their music again. And they're going to be able to sell it just like they used to with an album. Artists are going to be able to track and sell their art like they used to. The things are going to start to really change in the Web3 blockchain tokenization, whether it be non-fungible world. And so if you're a B2B leader and you're not thinking about how this new technology stack can be embedded into your product and or in the future, I think you best start thinking of it that way because we certainly are and how we're looking at our the future of benefits and things like that. And we're working on a lot of stuff down that vein right now. And I think it's going to be really cool where things are headed. It's going to, it's going to change a lot over the next three to five years. A vote for blockchain during the crypto winter. You know, I, I totally agree. You're right. It's, you have to completely abstract from the, the hypothon of the, just the absolute insanity of where all that focus is. And then you realize like infrastructure wise, you're talking about a completely new set of protocols and building tools that are, it's just, it's not the same thing. And in fact, it's essentially internet 3.0, forget about web. Yeah. I think that the whole, I think security, I think there's just so many things that this is going to be embedded into. I do think that if you look just in the web one, web two, web three, the first one was web one was read, web two is read, write. Web3 is read, write, own. And I think that that's really what we're talking about. It's not this Bitcoin, crypto. I think that's all great. And I think that what's great about that, it's tested. The technology is now tested. And now how do you take that technology and embed it into your own ecosystem of, of products? And how do you deliver that to build a better experience for your customers? And those are things like I am thinking about night and day, night and day. New reasons to stay up, stare at the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are nights where I don't sleep, but hey, it's just because my brain operates in that manner. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Rob, fantastic insights. I love it. Great interview and so much for people to take away. If anybody's resonating out there and wants to talk to you about the business or your ideas, what are the best channels to do that? You can just reach out to me via LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. It's a great place to catch me. You can also go to ptoexchange.com if you're interested in our product or learning more about us as a company and where we're headed. You can go to PTO Exchange or send an email to info at ptoexchange.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming out. Really enjoyed it. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.